the Bible. From America's colonial period to her rise to become the richest, most powerful nation in history, the ideas and values that guide us, protect us, and hold our society together flow from the pages of this book of books. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Our founding documents affirm and build on the scriptural concepts of God-given, not state-granted rights, and of liberty under law. The biblical worldview shaped our work ethic, made education a priority, and birthed the notion of finite, limited government under divine authority. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The Pilgrims, the Puritans, the Founding Fathers, and American leaders throughout our history have emphasized the Bible's importance to America. The first and almost the only book worthy of universal attention is the Bible. John Quincy Adams. But for the book, we could not know right from wrong. All the things desirable to man are contained in it. Abraham Lincoln. The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Calvin Coolidge. The Bible Live is your opportunity to listen to the Bible. A 15 to 20 minute reading every weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Now, here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout on this annual excursion through the Word, Soapy Dollar. Thank you very much, Kevin Bell, for getting us into the program. And thank you, folks, for being there tonight to join with us for this edition of The Bible Live. We are changing books. As you know, we read through all 66 books, every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible, every year. We've just completed our first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, just last evening. We have read about the beginning of the creation of the world, of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, of the fall of man into sin. We saw the expansion of the human race to the time of Noah and the great flood. God's intention would be diversity in the human race, that there would be different nations and people groups and languages so that the sin nature would not be magnified as all men walking together. Whenever we are broken into competing people groups and cultures and societies and language groups, it seems to serve as some way as a check and a balance on the sin nature in the human race. And that was God's design. They did not do that. And the human race went in about 1,500 years to a time of great wickedness, and they were judged. And Noah and his family survived. We saw them expand afterwards. God gave them that command again. Again, they disobeyed him. But God this time confused the languages at the Tower of Babel accomplishing the diversity and the spreading out that he wanted. The human race expanded, and we picked up with Abraham. He was one who honored God, acknowledged God, worshiped God, and God called him to leave his land and go to Canaan, the land that he would show him. There he established a covenant with them, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph down in Egypt. Joseph died in our last reading down in Egypt. 
just tracing there through the book of Genesis, the whole clan has now moved down into Egypt, and that's where we left them, down in Egypt. We'll be picking up in our first chapter of the book of Exodus tonight after about 400 years, and now we will see the Exodus coming out of Egypt. Before we get to that, though, let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment tonight, Guidelines for Living a Blameless Life, a prayer of King David here on The Bible Life. Psalm 15. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth with sincere hearts. Those who refuse to slander others or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise persistent sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Those who do not charge interest on the money they lend and who refuse to accept bribes to testify against the innocent. Such people will stand firm forever. End of reading, Psalm 15. Listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. As I have already explained, we have left now the people of Israel. Well, I say the people of Israel, they are not a nation by any stretch at this point. They are 70 people, just a small clan. Jacob, his 12 sons, his one daughter, Dinah, and their families, of course. They've made the transition down into Egypt. Let's read about their exodus. Exodus 1-1 through 6-13, Exodus 1. These are the sons of Jacob who went with their father to Egypt, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Joseph was already down in Egypt. In all, Jacob had 70 direct descendants. In time, Joseph and each of his brothers died, ending that generation. But their descendants had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so quickly that they soon filled the land. Then a new king came to the throne of Egypt, who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He told his people, These Israelites are becoming a threat to us, because there are so many of them. We must find a way to put an end to this. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves and put brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down under heavy burdens. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more quickly the Israelites multiplied. The Egyptians soon became alarmed and decided to make their slavery more bitter still. They were ruthless with the Israelites, forcing them to make bricks and mortar and to work long hours in the fields. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Puah. When you help the Hebrew women give birth, kill all the boys as soon as they are born. Allow only the baby girls to live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king and allowed the boys to live too. Then the king called for the midwives. Why have you done this? he demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? Sir, they told him, the Hebrew women are very strong. They have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. They are not slow in giving birth like Egyptian women. So God blessed the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw all the newborn Israelite boys into the Nile River, but you may spare the baby girls. 
Exodus 2. During this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw what a beautiful baby he was and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a little basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the edge of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Soon after this, one of Pharaoh's daughters came down to bathe in the river, and her servant girls walked along the river bank. When the princess saw the little basket among the reeds, she told one of her servant girls to get it for her. As the princess opened it, she found the baby boy. His helpless cries touched her heart. He must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl rushed home and called the baby's mother. Take this child home and nurse him for me, the princess told her. I will pay you for your help. So the baby's mother took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when he was older, the child's mother brought him back to the princess, who adopted him as her son. The princess named him Moses, for she said, I drew him out of the water. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his people, the Israelites, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrew slaves. After looking around to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. The next day, as Moses was out visiting his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. What are you doing hitting your neighbor like that? Moses said to the one in the wrong. Who do you think you are? The man replied. Who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Do you plan to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Moses was badly frightened because he realized that everyone knew what he had done. And sure enough, when Pharaoh heard about it, he gave orders to have Moses arrested and killed. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and escaped to the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. Now it happened that the priest of Midian had seven daughters who came regularly to this well to draw water and fill the water troughs for their father's flocks. But other shepherds would often come and chase the girls and their flocks away. This time, however, Moses came to their aid, rescuing the girls from the shepherds. Then he helped them draw water for their flocks. When the girls returned to Reuel, their father, he asked, How did you get the flocks watered so quickly today? An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, they told him, and then he drew water for us and watered our flocks. Well, where is he then? their father asked. Did you just leave him there? Go and invite him home for a meal. Moses was happy to accept the invitation, and he settled down to live with them. In time, Reuel gave Moses one of his daughters, Zipporah, to be his wife. Later they had a baby boy, and Moses named him Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites still groaned beneath their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their pleas for deliverance rose up to God. God heard their cries and remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the Israelites and felt deep concern for their welfare. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Exodus 3. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he went deep into the wilderness near Sinai, the mountain of God. Suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared to him as a blazing fire in a bush. Moses was amazed because the bush was engulfed in flames, but it didn't burn up. Amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go over to see this. When the Lord saw that he had caught Moses' attention, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses! Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, God told him. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
When Moses heard this, he hid his face in his hands because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, You can be sure I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries for deliverance from the harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come to rescue them from the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own good and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites live. The cries of the people of Israel have reached me, and I have seen how the Egyptians have oppressed them with heavy tasks. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You will lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Moses asked God. How can you expect me to lead the Israelites out of Egypt? Then God told him, I will be with you, and this will serve as proof that I have sent you. When you have brought the Israelites out of Egypt, you will return here to worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they won't believe me. They will ask, Which God are you talking about? What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied, I am the one who always is. Just tell them, I am has sent me to you. God also said, Tell them the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This will be my name forever. It has always been my name, and it will be used throughout all generations. Now go and call together all the leaders of Israel. Tell them, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me in a burning bush. He said, You can be sure that I am watching over you and have seen what is happening to you in Egypt. I promise to rescue you from the oppression of the Egyptians. I will lead you to the land now occupied by the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites a land flowing with milk and honey. The leaders of the people of Israel will accept your message. Then all of you must go straight to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us go on a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go except under heavy pressure. So I will reach out and strike at the heart of Egypt with all kinds of miracles. Then at last he will let you go. And I will see to it that the Egyptians treat you well. They will load you down with gifts so you will not leave empty-handed. The Israelite women will ask for silver and gold jewelry and find clothing from their Egyptian neighbors and their neighbors' guests. With this clothing you will dress your sons and daughters. In this way you will plunder the Egyptians. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Exodus 4. But Moses protested again. Look, they won't believe me. They won't do what I tell them. They'll just say, the Lord never appeared to you. Then the Lord asked him, What do you have there in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw it down, and it became a snake. Moses was terrified, so he turned and ran away. Then the Lord told him, Take hold of its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it became a shepherd's staff again. Perform this sign, and they will believe you, the Lord told him. Then they will realize that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Put your hand inside your robe. Moses did so, and when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with leprosy. Now put your hand back into your robe again, the Lord said. Moses did, and when he took it out this time, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. If they do not believe the first miraculous sign, they will believe the second, the Lord said. And if they do not believe you even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it out on the dry ground. When you do, it will turn into blood. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh, Lord, I'm just not a good speaker. I never have been, and I'm not now, even after you have spoken to me. I'm clumsy with words. Who makes mouths, 
the Lord asked him. Who makes people so they can speak or not speak, hear or not hear, see or not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go and do as I have told you. I will help you speak well, and I will tell you what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send someone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? He is a good speaker, and look, he is on his way to meet you now. And when he sees you, he will be very glad. You will talk to him, giving him the words to say. I will help both of you to speak clearly, and I will tell you what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people, and you will be as God to him, telling him what to say. And be sure to take your shepherd's staff along, so you can perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. Then Moses went back home and talked it over with Jethro, his father-in-law. With your permission, Moses said, I would like to go back to Egypt to visit my family. I don't even know whether they are still alive. Go with my blessing, Jethro replied. Before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid to return to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand he carried the staff of God. Then the Lord reminded him, When you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh and perform the miracles I have empowered you to do. But I will make him stubborn so he will not let the people go. Then you will tell him, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. I commanded you to let him go so he could worship me. But since you have refused, be warned, I will kill your firstborn son. On the journey, when Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah, his wife, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. She threw the foreskin at Moses' feet and said, What a blood-smeared bridegroom you are to me. When she called Moses a blood-smeared bridegroom, she was referring to the circumcision. After that, the Lord left him alone. Now the Lord had said to Aaron, Go out into the wilderness to meet Moses. So Aaron traveled to the mountain of God, where he found Moses and greeted him warmly. Moses then told Aaron everything the Lord had commanded them to do and say, and he told him about the miraculous signs they were to perform. So Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt and called the leaders of Israel to a meeting. Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses, and Moses performed the miraculous signs as they watched. The leaders were soon convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. And when they realized that the Lord had seen their misery and was deeply concerned for them, they all bowed their heads and worshipped. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Exodus 5. After this presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went to see Pharaoh. They told him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, for they must go out into the wilderness to hold a religious festival in my honor. Is that so? retorted Pharaoh. And who is the Lord that I should listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. But Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declared. Let us take a three-day trip into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. If we don't, we will surely die by disease or the sword. Who do you think you are, Pharaoh shouted, distracting the people from their tasks. Get back to work. Look, there are many people here in Egypt, and you are stopping them from doing their work. That same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the slave drivers and foremen he had set over the people of Israel. Do not supply the people with any more straw for making bricks. Let them get it themselves. But don't reduce their production quotas by a single brick. They obviously don't have enough to do. If they did, they wouldn't be talking about going into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to their God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to these liars. So the slave drivers and foremen informed the people, Pharaoh has ordered us not to provide straw for you. Go and get it yourselves. Find it wherever you can, but you must produce just as many bricks as before. So the people scattered throughout the land in search of straw. 
The slave drivers were brutal. Meet your daily quota of bricks just as you did before, they demanded. Then they whipped the Israelite foreman in charge of the work crews. Why haven't you met your quotas either yesterday or today, they demanded. So the Israelite foreman went to Pharaoh and pleaded with him. Please don't treat us like this, they begged. We are given no straw, but we are still told to make as many bricks as before. We are beaten for something that isn't our fault. It is the fault of your slave drivers for making such unreasonable demands. But Pharaoh replied, You're just lazy. You obviously don't have enough to do. If you did, you wouldn't be saying, Let us go so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord. Now get back to work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the regular quota of bricks. Since Pharaoh would not let up on his demands, the Israelite foremen could see that they were in serious trouble. As they left Pharaoh's court, they met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting outside for them. The foreman said to them, May the Lord judge you for getting us into this terrible situation with Pharaoh and his officials. You have given them an excuse to kill us. So Moses went back to the Lord and protested, Why have you mistreated your own people like this, Lord? Why did you send me? Since I gave Pharaoh your message, he has been even more brutal to your people. You have not even begun to rescue them. Exodus 6 Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh, the Lord told Moses. When he feels my powerful hand upon him, he will let the people go. In fact, he will be so anxious to get rid of them that he will force them to leave this land. And God continued, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, though I did not reveal my name, the Lord, to them. And I entered into a solemn covenant with them. Under its terms, I swore to give them the land of Canaan, where they were living. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel, who are now slaves to the Egyptians. I have remembered my covenant with them. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will free you from slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with mighty power and great acts of judgment. I will make you my own special people, and I will be your God. And you will know that I am the Lord your God, who has rescued you from your slavery in Egypt. And I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It will be your very own property. I am the Lord. So Moses told the people what the Lord had said, but they wouldn't listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the increasing burden of their slavery. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go back to Pharaoh and tell him to let the people of Israel leave Egypt. But Lord, Moses objected, my own people won't listen to me anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen? I'm no orator. But the Lord ordered Moses and Aaron to return to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to demand that he let the people of Israel leave Egypt. End of reading Exodus 1-1 through 6-13. This is the Bible Live. Thou shalt not go away. We are back talking about Moses, another who is going to be in some ways a type or an example of the Redeemer that God would someday send, the Messiah himself, even as we saw that Joseph's life paralleled in some way the life of the Redeemer. Both of their fathers loved them dearly. They were both shepherds of their father's sheep sent by their father to their brothers, but they were hated and rejected by their brothers. They were tempted. Joseph was tempted to sin, but resisted the temptations, even as the Messiah Jesus did. Others plotted to harm them. They were taken down into Egypt. Jesus the Messiah was as well. Their robes were taken from them. They were sold for the price of a slave, bound in chains, falsely accused, 
other examples all the way through. They were both 30 years old at the beginning of their public recognition. After they were brought down and humbled, they were exalted. They forgave those who wronged them, and they saved their nation, as Joseph did. What people did to hurt them, God turned it to good. We can say the same thing here about Moses in many of those same ways. Moses is going to be a type of a redeemer, a type of the Messiah, the Savior. Forty years he lived in the palaces of Egypt. Forty years he now lives in the wilderness of Midian. Remember, Midian was the fourth son of Abraham with Keturah, his second wife. All of these people groups, if you can stay up with it, you need a roster list to stay up with all the players here. But there is some relationship with all of these. As now Moses goes down to live among the Midianites, he meets Jethro, a priest among the Midianites, and that is where he finds his first wife, Zipporah. We can follow the thread here of the story. God is now keeping his promise that he gave even way back to Abraham. Back in, I think, in chapter 15 of the book of Genesis, he told Abraham, your people are going to be 400, 430 years enslaved in another foreign land, and then I will bring them out. Now we see that happening and God raising up this leader. He's a very reluctant leader, though, Moses. He had a lot of excuses. He did not want to get back into the hot water. Moses tries to use this excuse that he cannot speak well, and therefore he wants to get out of this calling of responsibility. But God proves himself to him. Moses takes that step of faith, and God is faithful. The story itself is straightforward. The people of Israel, the expanded clan of Jacob and his 12 sons, they're 400 years in Egypt, and now God has called this man named Moses to take them out of Egypt. In the background, you have the pharaohs of Egypt and uh, the history of Egypt. And I would recommend uh, that you Google or look up the history of the ruling dynasty in Egypt called the Hyksos, H-Y-K-S-O-S. These seem to be the Semitic leaders who conquered Egypt for a time and probably was the pharaoh that welcomed Joseph. But then another pharaoh that was not from the Hyksos was the one who probably enslaved them. See you next time. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word. 